Hello, welcome everyone to season three of RM Sotheby's Car Show. I cannot believe we're in season three already. Um, and this season is gonna be kicked off with uh, a visit to our London auction, which took place at the beginning of November. And uh, we are going to have a very special guest in this episode because we're going to have uh, broadcaster and car enthusiast, Alan Titchmarsh, um, who's a real proper car guy. And so I hope you enjoy that. But before we talk to Alan, uh, we're gonna learn a little bit more about the London sale. And I'm doing that with car specialists, Duccio Lopresto and Felix Archer. I hope you enjoy it. We're here in London, uh, in the grounds of Marlborough House. We've done a podcast from here before, last year, because we come here every year. And uh, I'm here with Felix Archer, car specialist, Duccio Lopresto. What do we call you, Duccio? We can call you a car specialist as well, yeah, can't we? DG. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, uh, yeah, we've got our London sale, and it's early November, I'm not sure when this is going to be broadcast, but it's November the 3rd today. So it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of fireworks tomorrow, I reckon. Are you happy to be back at our London auction? Are you, how excited are you on a scale of one to 10? 10 being the most excited. You're starting with really tricky questions. <laughs> no, um, come on, it's not complicated. I'm asking you to give me a number between one and 10, with our, 10 being peak excitement. It's our job to be excited. So for the purpose of work, I'm extremely excited. Um, so you 10? Yeah, and 10. You look 10. Off the chart. Ten. You, uh, yeah, you, yeah. I'm you frozen with You're joy. looking off the chart in terms <laughs> yeah. of the energy you're giving yeah. away, giving yeah. off. Uh, so we've got a lot of cars behind us. How many cars in this auction? I should know that off the top of my 66. head. 66. 66 cars. And okay. 58 memorabilia lots. Yeah, we should now, start with that because we have actually, I mean, with the rest of the auction is quite standard, but what isn't standard is we've been entrusted with an amazing collection. Don't from, say the rest of the auction is quite standard. Well, I mean, we'll sell, we'll sell this stuff all the time. I mean, okay. that's quite exciting, yeah. but yeah. the yeah. Graham Hill the Graham Hill collection is amazing. The I Graham, agree. yeah. Coming yeah. directly from the family. Yeah, so it is. So Gra special. Graham Hill, two-time world champion, triple, cr the only Formula One driver to hold what's called the Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. So mm. uh, Indy 500, yep. Le Mans, Monaco. Monaco. Alonso's tried. He nearly did it. Nearly did it, because he's done Le Mans, he's done Monaco. He led Indy. He led Indy, but... but he didn't win Indy. He didn't yeah, win Indy. the engine let go. Uh, who else? Has anybody else tried that? Has anyone come close? I don't know. Uh, I thought two people have. No? Mm. No, I don't, think, I don't think there is. We're going to have listeners, maybe put us right on this. I think he's the only triple crown oh. holder. Um, and he obviously died in a plane crash. 75? Yeah, mid 70s, very tragic. Um, did a lot of flying. Um, the number of people that have died in planes and helicopters is, that, that, you know, do a very dangerous day job and then manage to, you know, crash, yep. crash an aircraft. Um, but um, he obviously, left a lot of memorabilia behind with the family and when Graham's wife died that was all passed on to the children including 96 world champion Damon Hill. The items we're selling are not Damon's, they belong to his sisters but amazing stuff right? Amazing stuff. What's, let's just, because there are a couple of really important things. So we talked about Monaco, I am led to believe that 
this is the first time a Monaco winner's trophy has ever been sold. Wow. Is it? I, I, I'm, I, I, I think, well, blame Michael Squire if I'm wrong. But I think... If you said that, it must be true. I, I think that's true. I don't think, uh, I don't think a Monaco winner's trophy has ever come up to sale. So that's amazing. Yeah, yeah and he was... 1961, um, right? 69 we, have 69. The 69, we have the 69 trophy. Yeah. Um, but he was Mr. Monaco. Well, I mean, Ayrton Senna was Mr. Monaco, but Graham Hill was, let's say, of the older generation. He, was, he won it five, so, five times. Five times. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I, I did an interview with Damon Hill. Michael was there. My, Damon thought that nobody had won Monaco more than his dad. I didn't realise how many times Senna had won it. Yeah. It's like seven. Seven. Which is, a, uh, well, I, I had no idea he'd won it yeah. seven times. Because he, the thing was, he won early in his career, didn't he, in the Lotus? Yeah. So he had a, he had a long, he didn't win in a, yeah, he did win in a Lotus. He, he won in, yeah, uh, he won in everything. Uh, um, With a Toleman, I think he arrived second. Toleman was second, he nearly won in the Toleman. He Tolman. nearly won. Yeah, yeah. And with McLaren, he won like And interestingly, Damon said it's sad for him that he never won the Monaco Grand Prix, but he did lead the race. And, okay. then, and then had In 96? He was which, leading in 96, was like 20 seconds up the road, and then there was some kind of crappy pit stop or something. And he, he had, he had an engine failure. Oh, that, and that he was had the an year that Olivier yeah. Panis won it, and three cars finished the race. Yeah, that really? was it. Yeah, Panis was 20 seconds behind yeah. when, engi when Damon's engine let go. <laughs> but interestingly, when you consider how long Graham Hill's career was, he never won the British Grand Prix, which of course Damon did win. So, um, well, that's, an, that's a family legacy, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Incredible. Um, and the helmet is amazing because back in those days, helmets were used for such a long period of time. I mean, that you, you can date that helmet to almost 12 months of racing, um, which is extraordinary. Now, yeah. you get a helmet for, you, you're, you, they, get for sort of, you know, they get five helmets a weekend sometimes. Yeah, yeah um, they, can wear a new, they can wear a different helmet for practice, quality, race. Yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't happen um, like no. it used to. Yeah. So that helmet is so special because you know that that was worn and it's potentially, we can't really prove it, but it's potentially the Le Mans winning helmet that he wore, um, which is amazing. And we're 99% sure it is. It, 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 and we're selling his Moe and Chandon glass trophy mm. that he won at Le Mans um, in, in that year. So, you know, for somebody, you could come away with a really nice pair of items. Mm. But I mean, the hell, you're right. And we, we recently, listeners might remember that very recently we sold Nigel Manson's memorabilia. We're having a good run on memorabilia, aren't we? And uh, even, in, even at his time in Formula One, so you, late 80s, early 90s, he was saying that, you know, he could go, he might have four helmets, helmets in a season, like not in I a mean, weekend. Budgets were very different. They yeah. didn't like yeah. have that much money and of course they had to save money somehow. So. Yeah. Yeah. But that's special. I mean, I mean Damon was saying he he's only got about four helmets from his career left. Wow. He, that he owns because he was saying he and he gave a lot away and he's he really regrets it mm -hmm. you know but well I, what's interesting actually going back to 96 Monaco that race is quite famous because Panis won it but such was the difference in time um, David Coulthard uh, he had a problem with his helmet and so if you look at photos of David Coulthard racing in Monaco in 1996 he's wearing Michael Schumacher's helmet no. No. he had to borrow it so really? if you look at David Coulthard Monaco 96 he's wearing Michael Schumacher's helmet 
that they stuck some Marlboro stickers on. Ooh, yeah. uh, Schumacher was driving a Benetton. No, he was driving a Ferrari. Ferrari. So in they're both wearing identical Ferrari. helmets. And Coulter was in a McLaren. In, in a McLaren. Wow. It's, yeah, he didn't have another helmet. So he and said did to... Did it fit perfectly? Yeah. That's weird, wow. isn't it? That would never happen now. That would never happen. Even you, you can't imagine uh, Hamilton wearing a sort of Sonoda helmet. No, you know, no. It wouldn't happen. I like go club racing with two crash helmets. I mean, you know, and that's me. So you're Peter Haynes, man. Well, like if I was David Coulthard, I'd definitely have four. <laughs> um, so Graham Hill, we've covered off Graham Hill memorabilia. That's a really important part of what we're selling tomorrow. Um, so let's talk about the cars. Let's do it. Um, do you know what I like about this sale? Because it doesn't always happen. Do you know what I love about this sale, chaps? It's the breadth of the cars we've got. So we've got, we've got a veteran. We've got several pre-war cars, lovely little racing ammo car. We've got two voisins. We've got also uh, that amazing Mercedes restoration uh, right the way up to um, Ferrari, what do we got, 599s. And there really is a broad section of cars here. Um, let's just talk a little bit though about a whole bunch of cars, mainly Ferraris, if you are, are watching this podcast, you'll see there's a 80s Ferrari Mondial behind me. There's a Ferrari 348 behind uh, Duccio and Felix. Now, all of these cars, they've come in from Singapore. Chaps, what is unusual about these cars? They're not just red Ferraris, are they? Well, they're not all red, but... Well, they're very special because they're all owned by a single individual. Yep. They're coming from Singapore, yep. which is quite a thing and they're all pretty much delivery mileage. So very, very low mileage. And it's a very eclectic selection. So you have, you know, cars from the 90s, from early 2000s, from, uh, you know, you got actually a very, very special TR Spider, which is a, the highlight of yep. the auction. One of three. Uh, one of three made. Yeah. Officially converted to Spider by Ferrari, which is very special, in a beautiful blue color. So yeah, it's a very special collection that we're very happy to sell here as well. The Bentley Continental. Yeah, uh, that's a lovely thing as well. Made isn't it? for the Brunei family, two door, only two maids. So, and we got an XJ220 there with what, 40 something miles? That just blows my mind. Crazy. I mean, you know, for the benefit of our, um, to explain to our listeners, um, all Ferraris, do some mileage at the factory, don't they, before, yep. before they're delivered. It's just a Ferrari thing. So you'll, you're never actually going to get a Ferrari with zero miles. Yep, Typically, what, they've done maybe a hundred? hundred yeah. Ks or a hundred miles. Um, so, but a lot of these cars are, a lot of the Ferraris are literally down at that level. They, they, so they were import. so the guy selling them was the official Ferrari importer in Singapore. So he was obviously bringing a lot of cars into the country and he was just keeping cars for himself and just not driving them. Uh, so there's a Ferrari Mondial behind me. I mean, in the great scheme of things, a Mondial is not a valuable Ferrari particularly. Um, slightly I, I go, a very typical 80s Ferrari, it's a two plus two, so maybe to some eyes it's a little bit ungainly to look at. But you simply can't find a Mondial. Where, where are you going to find one with that, with delivery mileage? You won't. It's, you, you know, won't. It, it, it's- they're all being used and this is, I don't know yeah. how many miles this one has. Uh, but not 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 many. But yeah, it's um, very, very special. And, uh, yeah, and you know, XJ220 with, with 40 odd, miles on it i mean find another one of those so we often say that don't we we often say find another one and <laughs> and quite often 
you probably can find another one if you look hard enough. But I actually think there's a lot of cars here that you won't find another one on. Um, Surely the 512TR, you can't find another one for sale. Uh, spider? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the spider. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, where are the other two? They're in private well, hands. Well, one, uh, yeah. one is in Brunei, and then one is with a French collector that will not be sold. Yeah. So Never. this is your one opportunity. So yeah. you're going to have to part with a couple of million pounds, aren't you, Correct. for that? So it's, yeah. not a, it's, not a, it's not a cheap opportunity, shall we no, say? No, but being so special and being an official factory conversion, it's definitely worth that money. If yeah. you think about it, we sold uh, the Testarossa Spider last year. It was not officially converted by Ferrari, but by Pininfarina for how much? 1.8? Something like that. Something yeah, like pounds. That, yeah. yeah. So this being a, an official Ferrari project should be worth more than that. And you can actually leave with a pair, can't you? You can buy in the same color. You, oh, can, yeah. you can have a fixed head and the Spider. Exactly. Which yeah. would be uh, super cool. Um, that would be ideal. What else? What um, I mean, the other top lot is a is a Ferrari F40, similar money to the um, to the TR Spider. When I look at F40s, and they are super cool. Actually, I've driven that car. How was it? It's good. I didn't go very fast though. Um, I remember standing next to F40s at auctions in like t 2010, and they were two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Yeah, man. Do you know how annoyed I am? Not, I, the thing was, I didn't have £250,000, but I would have found it somehow, yeah. somehow, if I'd known they were going to be two million quid. Muras were 150 grand at some point, 2009, 2010. Mura SVs. I know. Now they're like three million in the US. It is crazy, crazy. isn't it? If you pick up an auction catalogue, I mean, I've been, I've been working with RM since 2007, so I've got a lot of old catalogues going back to that time. It's just bizarre when yeah. you flick through them and you see what cars were selling for. I mean, there, uh, there are people that I know that made so much money in cars because they invested in the right time. Yeah. Some cars didn't really go up that much, like the 50s and 60s Ferraris. At the end of the day, if you look like 10 years time, they went up, but not that crazy. But the young timer cars, they just skyrocketed. Yeah. What do you think, guys? Because a, a journalist sent me some questions the other day that I had to answer for a, a, um, a feature in, in, in a magazine. And he said, do you think that the market for blue chip 60s cars is now going to be, it, which, which a, a few years ago, 60s, you know, great, 60s GT cars, Ferraris, you know, T TDFs, that sort of stuff. Um, that's what everybody wanted. His question to me was, do you, are they now in a, are they in permanent decline in value terms in favor of more, in favor of F50s and F40s and, you know, Pagani Zondas or whatever they might be? I mean, wh what do you think about that? Well, I think yes and no. So for sure, there is a question of supply and demand. Uh, the demand has changed, obviously, because the buyers uh, have changed, they're younger now, uh, and uh, they have a different taste compared to their fathers or their mothers or the previous generation that was really you know, into 50s and 60s cars because those are the iconic ones from their childhood, right? So, uh, in a way, yeah, like I think those cars will have a bit of a flex, uh, and we'll see 
a raise in, 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 in interest for young timer cars because people that are now like 40, 35, 40, 45 years old, they have money, they will invest their money in cars that they, you know, like, they have this sense of nostalgia for their past, right? So they want cars that they really like, the poster cars of their generations. So that's happening and you feel it, you just look at the data, like F40s used to sell for even like a million three, four years ago, and now there are two million. Yeah. So it's a 100% increase. So yeah, I think uh, we'll see a big uh, change in the market for those cars. Uh, but I feel that the very special, iconic, unique, you know, the GTOs, the Aston Martin DB4 GT Zagatos, those cars will always sell for top money. Because yeah. those are the kind of the trophy, the Mona Lisa's of the, the classic well, car markets. I, I think we've said it a couple of times in, in various podcasts. If you, if you collect contemporary art, you know, you've gone and spent a million on a Banksy or something, or a Damien Hirst. It doesn't mean to say that you don't also want a Rembrandt at exactly. some point. Yeah. Because, or a Caravaggio or, or, a, Car- or, or yeah, a Leonardo, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, like or those yeah. iconic, incredible pieces will always find buyers because they're just too special. And now yeah. the classic car world is becoming a little bit like the art world because with electrification, like new cars are becoming boring to drive and there are limitations. So of course, these cars will become more and more art pieces, museum pieces. <coughs> so those are very special, will, uh, in my opinion, will go up in value. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I, I agree. And I, th- I think, because another question that I was asked was about the pre-war market. And, it, and it, essentially, the journalists were saying to me, is that, like, is that in free fall? Because, and actually, I don't think it is. I mean, I've been in the Vintage Sports Car Club uh, for 40 years, which makes me sound very old, but I was a kid when I joined. But um, uh, there are a lot of youngsters getting into that club. I mean, they might be buying modest cars like Austin 7s or you know, something that's cost them 15 grand. But there are a lot of people, they still want to be a part of that scene. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think some of the signs are good. And I, I, I think the other thing that's true also is if you've got a, let's just say you take a 40-year-old guy and he's bought a 30-year-old car, that he, he, his poster car, let's just say a 911 of some description. I mean, if that individual sort of builds up some personal wealth and carries on buying cars eventually people's tastes do dive they they change a little bit you know it it, it, it's um and older stuff that might have appealed to him when he was 40 by the time he's 60 he might be buying older cars because you know because your taste change as well yeah i I also think when someone becomes you know a proper enthusiastic collector you know the first thing they might buy might be something very obvious you know, they might buy that thing that was opposed to yeah. on their wall. Yeah. But then when they, you know, inevitably when you, when you own something and collect it, you discover more about it and then you go, right, I've got this model, but there's, var- there's variants of this model. And you go into the niche cars. So that's when I think people go, well, actually, I'm going to buy this thing that's a really limited edition and it's, the, you know, it's limited supply. Um, and that's, I think, when people go into the, the more special stuff. Um, and, you know, it might be that someone starts racing a car from the 80s and they go racing with it and there's people there that happen to be racing pre-war cars and, you know, yeah. they get into it via the yeah, community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think 
there will always be people that diversify, not from a financial perspective, just by discovery, by entering the community that we are operating in. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, and also, the, the other thing that you can't avoid is the fact that modern sports cars are inherently complicated. But particularly yeah. if you start getting into very exotic territory, is owning a owning a owning an F fifty, you don't enter into that lightly. I mean, that's a car that needs a lot of money ultimately oh God, lavished yeah. on it. You put an F fifty into a Ferrari main dealer to have a big service and it's have belts. Cost you forty thousand euros. It's, it's going <laughs> to yeah. cost you a lot of money, and every yeah. you know, and you can't really, you know, the more the more modern and technically advanced a car is, when you open the bonnet. You don't even know what you're looking at, do you? No. You just go, oh my god, you know. And 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 that's what I think. That's why older cars are, are actually quite appealing because you yeah. can, you know, I my old Lotus Eleven, which I don't own anymore, but that there's it's just a simple car. It's yeah. like a piece of Meccano. So there's nothing that you can't do. And if whatever you do have to do isn't going to cost you a fortune. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, modern supercars give me anxiety. Oh my god, especially if they're hybrid or like take a La, La Ferrari for example. You know the batteries. If you want to change the batteries of the, of those cars, gonna cost you like a hundred and fifty thousand euros, something like that. Yeah, just to change the batteries. And now I I crazy. I've said this to people because people have said it to me, and I don't actually know if it's true. Bugatti Veyron, and I'm assuming a Chiron would be the same. Tires are bonded to the rims, aren't they? They're not, it's not a normal tyre fit. Yeah, I think but, so. But, and you have very, very limited mileage on them. Yeah. But you can't replace a tyre. You have to replace the whole rim. You have to buy a wheel and a tyre. It's going to cost you... Like 40, they're 40, it's 40 grand a corner. Is, it, is that right? That sounds too much. 40,000 a corner? I don't know. Okay. I might, have said, I might have said something. That's 160,000 for I know. That's why you don't own a Veyron. Yeah, well, that's because the only reason. You can't afford a wheel. Yeah. Well, if you go full speed with a Veyron, the tire is going to last probably like 15 minutes. If you go full speed, like 400. 15 minutes. Something like that. Or There's a crazy stat about the Veyron if, you go, if you're going full speed with a full tank of fuel, you'll run out of fuel in something like eight minutes. Something like that. It's it goes crazy. 420 kilometers an hour. I don't know how much that is in miles. So it's like consumption is on a par with a Typhoon jet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, pretty much. A Eurofighter. Pretty much. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Um, okay, off air, we're going to find out from somebody in the know how much it costs to replace a Veyron tyre. But I think it is a lot of money. But the only reason I'm waffling on about that is that that, that f really focuses your attention in terms of... <laughs> because so many people say buying a car, buying the car is the easy bit. And, the, and here's the thing with exotic cars. Sometimes you look at a, a, an old... Um, you know, there might be a 30-year-old Ferrari or, or, or a Rolls-Royce or a Bentley, particularly sort of Rolls and Bentleys. They actually become very affordable. Yeah. And a lot of people look at them and go, oh, oh I could own that. And what you've got to remember is they, those cars were built to be owned by wealthy people. They were, owned to, they were designed to be owned by millionaires. Nothing's changed. 
in terms of the running costs. True. So, you know, it, it, it's one thing being able to afford to buy the car. It's another thing to be able to look after it. Uh, in addition, okay, I'm reading this now, listeners. Somebody's just handed me a, a, an iPhone. Uh, in addition to the seven-figure purchase price, maintaining a Bugatti Veyron is also very expensive. A set of tyres alone costs £32,000. Okay, well that, not per tyre. That's too much. Okay. That's too much. That's crazy. Uh, uh, you're, you're, I'm out. I'm out. That's too you're much. You're out. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm out too, frankly. Um, That's pure insanity. Why would you spend £30,000 just to replace tyres? And if you use the car, you... Watch, us, watch us auction Aveyron in Paris and say how good an opportunity it is yeah. on a podcast. <laughs> watch yeah, us. Not... Yeah, but what... what Man, what... it's so cheap, those tyres. Oh my God, yeah. What, they last what... forever, They're... especially if you go full speed. Mm. The, the, in fact, Huge the set, tank the, the set your... of tyres on this car we're selling today, sir, they've been on for probably 80,000 miles. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we do sell Veyrons to, I think, quite, let's just say the buyers are quite flush financially. So I, they they're, 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 they're probably not worrying about it too much. I, I am a big fan of the Veyron in terms of design. I, I remember when it came out, it was such a groundbreaking piece of everything, engineering, design. So I'm, I'm a fan of what it represents, but then, of course, you need to be mindful that if you buy one, you gonna end up spending a lot of money uh, yeah. running it. Well, you you know is, because you've got a Fiat Panda. Yeah, it's you pretty know much what the it, same, same cost. You man. know what it is to run an exotic yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Felix has been running a Mark IV Golf. Is it a Mark IV? I actually don't know. It's a Mark something. Yeah, yeah. Black Golf, auto. Special. Mm. I, I Limited. Was, it was yeah. quite, I was disappointed. We work for an auction house, right? We do. Felix sold his car through We Buy Any Car. I haven't sold it yet. Oh, really? I'm waiting for the right time in the market. Yeah, it's going to go up, man. Yeah, definitely. Massively. It's the provenance, um, it's the condition, uh, auto as well, which is a oh, big bonus. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, that's good. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely so you, a sleeper. So you will sell that with RM Sotheby's, come the time? Yeah, in a sealed bid, I think. <laughs> yeah. A wheel? Uh, Monterey. Um, yeah, this is a second that, that's going to get Jack Little um, excited. But yeah, what's your favourite car in here, Peter? I'm not prepared for this question because I don't know the answer. I uh, oh, I think I want an XJ220 with 45 miles on it because yeah. I've got a secret soft spot for those. I know a lot of people don't love them. I actually think they're very good news. I think XJ220s are quite a good place to put some money. Really? I think they are. Really? No, I do. Do you want me to rationalise that comment? Because interest rates are nice and low um, if you want to borrow the money. Yeah. If you compare them to their well, co like competitor cars, which were like the F40s, the they're this all above 2 million. Exactly. While the XJ220s, what, like 400? 500 nowadays you, so if you look at from that perspective it should at some point align with the competition even though you know you know like the engine is still a v6 um, it's not like as exciting as an f40 but 
I think personally, from a design point of view, is a fantastic. Yeah, fantastic it, it, it is a bit of a British Leyland part spin interior. I, I'm not. I don't love the interior, but it's very of its era. But and the, the design, but, like but, the exterior. But, but when you, that's the point I was trying to make, which you've nicely summarised. When you look at, when you look at its competitor set, those other 200 mile an hour supercars and let you know McLaren F1s, we don't even have to talk about. It just looks cheap. It's a bargain, yeah. And they were very good. They were very good in motorsport. They won. I mean, I know they were disqualified, but they won their class in Le Mans. Yep. And that's to me, it makes. Yeah, I agree with you. It makes no sense that they are so far behind the EB110s in their forties. Do you know when I was a young? Well, yeah, a youngster. um, I used to be a devotee of car magazine. I used to buy every month. Every month, I used to buy car. And at the in the back of car. They used to have a section called the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it basically was every new car on sale in Britain. And it would give a little bit of technical information about the car. There's only a few lines on each car. And underneath it would say for, against, and then it would give a one-line summary. And I'll never forget, for the XJ220, the summary was not bad for a six-cylinder hatchback. Mm. That's brilliant. Mm. Not, but it, it, I, I mean, it's not really a hatchback, is it? But not really, but <laughs> but so um, that's the car I'm going to buy tomorrow, uh, Ducha. Well, I'm a big fan of the 550 Maranello we have here, uh, and it's a world speed record uh, edition, so very rare. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of the Pininfarina Ferrari '90s era. Uh, yeah, because it's just so compared to what Ferrari is doing today, which is, in my opinion, like the opposite. Uh, so very flashy. Uh, that area is like pure. You know, you look at the 550 Maranello. And it's so functional, isn't it's it? It's so functional. It's so elegant. It's so really well balanced. And the first thing for me in a car is design. So yeah. I, I look I, at the I car agree. from a design point of view, and it's just beautiful. I love the color, and it's still, in my opinion, quite. Not cheap, but it's relatively I do, okay. I do remember, uh, you're going to hate me for saying this, I do remember when the 550 launched, I remember looking at it and thinking, I don't know, looks like a Toyota Supra to me. You know what? I, I love I, the Supra. I, 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 <laughs> it, it did, it looked a little bit like, a little like bit, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, but then, like so many things in life, including music and all yeah. sorts of things, it gets better with you, age. You, it gets better with age, yeah. and I and I absolutely love them, and they do seem. You're absolutely right. I, you know, when you you get to a point where the '90s feels like the recent history, and you keep forgetting it's as long ago as it is. But it it, it it's very analog, isn't it? Super and analog. functional, manual, and good and, and good yeah. looking manual. Great absolutely. sounds. Yeah. Uh, great cars to drive. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I and think, I, and, yeah. and not too old. So it's in this nice, uh, you know, it's a nice combo. Not too old, not too modern. It's still a classic. So remember what I said about running costs, though. Well, yeah, it's probably not cheap to maintain. Oh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure my XJ220 is going to be cheap to maintain no, either. For sure, uh, Felix. Hmm. I. It's actually very difficult. I really like the 550 as well. Um, I really? think, oh, go... I tell you what, the 993 C2 X51. Oh, yeah. 
no reserve, great car. You can just drive that for a million miles, park in the winter, it will start in the, in, in the spring. It's great, really, really nice car. X51 is a 3.8 like litre engine rather than a standard 3.6, and it's not expensive. It's, yeah, it's a 70, 80,000 pound car. It is fair to say that you spend a reasonably high percentage of your life looking at affordable 911s. And you? not buying them, because I've got and a Golf. And then yeah. not buying them. Yeah, in favor of that Mark IV Golf yeah. Auto. Yeah. Is that because you've never found a 911 that's really gonna like knock the Golf off its perch? Yeah, um, I just don't think it can be matched. Wow. Um, but the large uh, contributing factor is I don't have enough money for a 911. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. 996 C2 with 100,000 kilometers on it. Well Friend maintained. Of mine just bought one here in London. Really? For a paid 13,000 pounds. That's 13 grand. That is a lot of car. 996 C2. 90,000 miles, blue exterior, dark blue, and tan interior. Cool. 13,000 pounds. That's, in, that's a Man. huge... Manual. I'm no. sorry, but I would rather that than any car here. Yeah. 13,000 pounds. 13,000 You can't pounds. buy... Can you imagine? Well, he can. He's he living can. that dream. He's living the dream. You can't buy a second-hand Audi A4 for that. No, you know it's um yeah. Not even a Kia Picanto. No, it's probably gonna cost you more. Like a Fiat 500 new is gonna cost you 15 grand maybe. There you so. go, Felix. Yeah, come on, pull your finger out. Do it. Man. We're all. You can't spend your life looking at classifieds and going, oh yeah, no, I'm not gonna buy that. I know, but uh, yeah. Well, it's I'm gonna just, happen. Okay, it's gonna happen. Ne gonna next happen. year. Next yeah. year. So, okay, chaps, look, we've covered off our favourite cars. We've talked about the London sale. So, we're having, we're not allowed to call tonight's party a party, are we? Peter uh, Warman gets cross if you call it a party yeah. because it sounds frivolous. We can call it we, a preview cocktail reception. Yeah, we have to call it a cocktail reception. Yeah. Um, between us and the listeners, we're having a bit of a party, aren't we, tonight? Um, now, Ducho, you are going to be the DJ for said party. I am. Now, you've got to keep those decks turning for, what, three hours? Yeah. Can you do three that? Hours. I can. I played... I once played eight hours at a party in... Uh, eight hours? Eight, yeah. I've never been to a party that has lasted for eight hours. Yes, we started like 2 p.m. and we finished around like 10, 11-ish. So we were supposed to be three DJs. It was in Pantelleria four or five years ago. Oh, uh, beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Oh my God, I want to be there. Mm. And uh, we were supposed to be three DJs and at the end it was just me. And I had a lot of music. I started playing and I just couldn't stop. So uh, what, what can we expect tonight? You know, are we going to have like- Your favorites, ABBA, a I, lot of ABBA. The party favorites. <laughs> um, Black Lace, Last night DJ saved my life. No, uh, I don't know, like a very eclectic mix, ambient, uh, some uh, Napolitanian mu music from Napoli, oh, a lot of, uh, yeah, so then a bit of house, deep house, uh, wow. some breakbeat, UK garage, 
uh, everything. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to that, Felix? Very much so. Good. Very much so. As our resident music expert. Yeah. And critic. I'm nervous and, and, now. And, and critic. Mm, critic. Yeah. yeah. He, Felix is He's very, a real musician. He, he, he has very, you know, he knows what he likes. And if, you know, if you mention something that he doesn't like, he scowls at you. <laughs> like that. Oh, shit. Especially, especially if he hasn't had breakfast. No. Um, okay, so um, I think we're, we're, we're probably edging towards the end of this particular podcast. We've got our auction tomorrow, so we're kind of excited about that. On Sunday, it's the London to Brighton run. Now, yeah. some of us, were you in a car last year? No, but no. two years ago with you. Yeah. And it was a beautiful run. Uh, it was probably the best run that ever. That was absolutely beautiful. Sun was out. It was warm. So warm. Uh, last year, I had all of the clothes I wore last year, I threw in a bin. <laughs> uh, it was so appallingly awful. And I remember sitting in yeah. the car thinking, if I ever do this again, shoot me. But Were you with Wallman in the car? No. Uh, who was I with? I was with Michael Squire. Oh, with Squire. Okay. You can imagine what Squire was like. Yeah. In his Very wet, happy. In his, in his wet tweed. He wasn't having a good time. Um, so um, I'm not doing it this year, but I'm going to go down to Brighton and uh, eat and drink stuff down there. Are you coming down to Brighton? I'm coming down to Brighton. Good. Are you coming down to Brighton, Victor? No, because it's my birthday. I'm going to celebrate. Uh, I'm going to have lunch actually with my parents. Because oh, they're coming nice. over. Yeah. So I can't. Okay. Well... You have a nice lunch on Sunday. Felix, I'll see you in Brighton. I might see you before then. Uh, and I think we'll just call it a day. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, part two of RM Sotheby's car show here in our marquee in the grounds of Marlborough House in uh, central London. And I am joined by uh, Mr. Alan Titchmarsh, who, uh, now if you're British and you're listening to this, I'm not going to have to give any kind of an introduction to who Alan Titchmarsh is. If you're somewhere else, perhaps if you're in America, um, Alan is, has been omnipresent on our television screens for how many years, Alan? Uh, 40 some. 40 oh, odd. 40 odd. <laughs> That's a good career, isn't it? And, and Alan is um, very well known for uh, being a, a gardener and, and has spent, spent a lot of time doing specialist gardening shows, but, uh, uh, but your career developed into all sorts of. Yeah, so broader here. presenting as well. So yeah. yeah. In fact, in my hotel room here in London, when I woke up yesterday morning, you were there. I'm sorry, it's one you, of those you, things, You, you know, it? I was having my cup of tea and yeah, there you were. were. Get rid of him. <laughs> that, was li- that was live, I assume. Is uh, it? No, not yesterday morning, no. No, okay. No. Was it yesterday? It was yesterday morning, wasn't it? Or you, yesterday it was, was Friday. No, it was this morning. This morning I was on Classic FM, yes. You host a TV show. I host a TV show on a Sunday morning called Love Your Weekend. So you'll see me tomorrow on your television. You heard me this morning on your radio. I must have been last weekend. The bottom line is I get everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. (laughs) But you are not necessarily known to a lot of your radio listeners or or TV uh, fans as somebody that's necessarily connected to the car world. No. So you and I were both standing in the pouring rain 
outside the Royal Automobile Club in Pall Mall last year, and um, I gave you a, um, a, a, a ride in the back of the veteran I was driving to Hyde Park so you could get into your car. That was the beginning of a very wet day. Very wet day, and the car I was in, which wasn't mine, broke down halfway. So I didn't complete it last year. The year before, we got right to the end, and I was happy to, to drive this old moors across the line. Nice weather, wasn't yeah. it? But the only reason I mention that is that you're back again, mm. having experienced what you experienced yes. last year. So you must love this. I'm a gardener, I don't mind getting wet. No, that's true. Um, that's true. Old cars have been a passion since I was a boy, really. And I was remembering, somebody was talking to me about, as we got out here, you know, the veteran cars. Um, and I remember on my wall when I was a tiny boy, a little plastic framed painting of a Didion Bouton. Now really? I don't have cars of that age, uh, and for me, it's the 20s and 30s, particularly, and um, maybe a little bit later, the, 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 the lines I love on the cars. So yeah. that, that's my period, really. But I love coming on this. And was there anything in your family? I mean, was, did your father like no, cars? not at all. No, there were plenty of things to get you from A to B. So I don't no. know where it came from. And he was a plumber. He'd been quite useful under the bonnet on some of these cars. Uh, so no, I don't know where it came from, but I think it's always been to do with line. I mean, I, I, I learnt at Horticulture and Agricultural College how the internal combustion engine works, so I know all about sock squeeze, bang, blow. Uh, but I'm not particularly interested in, in, in the mechanics myself, but I, I'm a great polisher. I love driving them. I love admiring them. I come here and dribble at the lines of cars. It's, it's artistry coupled with engineering, and I find that the most amazing combination of things. And I go around with people judging, I'm judging the Concord Hospital into Brighton, and I go to Good Revival every year with my own cars. And I just love being among people who know about cars and listening to them in the same way that I use botanical Latin. They use hot tubes and things like that, which they mean nothing to me, but I'm fascinated, you know. Well, and veterans in particular. So, well, I'm, I'm kind of with you because um, my father, he was a, a, a very much an enthusiast of 20s and 30s cars. And, and so that's the world I grew up in. The veterans on the run, they are remarkable objects, mm. aren't they? Because you, you, you look at these things. And uh, I mean, these cars have been running since the late 1800s, yes. early 1900s. And how they get down to Brighton from Hyde Park is all, when you look at them, it's a mystery, really. It is, when you hear them. Wow. And when you hear them, I know. <laughs> it's a cross between Chippendale furniture uh, and a bit of engineering, isn't it, really? Yeah, and they, 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 have a, they have an amazing, almost like steampunk quality yeah. to them, don't they? they it, do. it, it looks like something that's just come out of an inventor's lab. Um, and all of the brass and everything. They are beautiful things. How long have you been owning old cars as a hobby? Uh, the first one I bought in about 1990, which was a Maurice Cowley, flat nose, 1928. Right. right. Uh, that was my very first one, and I enjoyed using that. And I've then been to all kinds of bits and bobs, like Austin A30 van. I taught myself to drive in an Austin A30 van in the Parks Department Nursery, so I got that for sentimental reasons. Then that went. Um, I had for 15 years, which I sold last year, a 1929 4.5 litre Bentley which I loved. Nice. But the, the, the project, I had for 15 years, I'd really enjoyed it, and it had gone up in value, and I thought, it would be a good idea, Alan, to sell this now. And I did, and I missed driving it so much with the central accelerator, double declutching, all that driving, yeah. that I then bought a 1934 Lagonda M45, and that's what I've got now, and I'll keep that. 
as long as I can remember that the steering, that the accelerator is in the middle. You know, um, I, I, as was the Bentley. Um, I really love driving that period of cars. I've had, um, uh, still got uh, an E-Type Jaguar 963 coupe that I had restored, brought from the States, a wreck, and totally restored. I enjoyed the process of doing that. I don't get the same kick out of driving a 1960s car as I do out of driving a 1920s or 30s car. Um, and I've got a Series 2A 963 Land Rover restored again. I love being kind to cars in a way. Yeah. I, I, I admire people who bring them with this enormous patina everywhere. And patina is a sort of euphemism for falling to bits. I, quite, <laughs> I love putting them back together and sometimes maybe over cleaning them. But my, my Legondra, the, I polish the brass regularly on the, the nameplate, you know. So I've got my little Legondra badge. And my badge. They are, it, because pre-war cars, um, because I've, I've sort of, because Within my peer group, I'm in, I'm 53, so within my peer group, typically people my age or certainly any younger than me gravitate more to post-war cars. Yeah, you see, I'm um, not really... Ferraris have never really done it for me, though there is no. one here. That's Oh, I could quite like that, you know. So it's, it's a combination of art and engineering. Design is hugely important to me. The Bentley Fastback over there wonderful car that yeah. great sloping there's yeah. something about it the 60s in particular is a lot of the cars from that era are very very stylish yes. they are just yeah. this t we're sitting next to a Ferrari 250 Lusso mm. by any standards from any angle it's a beautiful yes. car but I do understand where you're coming from with pre-war because they are the driving experience is so removed yes. from anything that's and I think that's the great appeal once you've taught yourself to do it once you've learned to double dick clutch once you've learned the difference speeds in which you can change gear whether it's second third or fourth it's slow winter second and then just quite yeah. smart to third yeah. and then boom, boom. and you have to learn that and then some days with these 20s and 30s cars now I'm not playing today now I know you normally go into me slow but you're gonna go in fact and there's a, they have a character they have a personality and I really enjoy that they do and I, I used to have an old Alvis if you screwed up the gear change yeah you you couldn't the only way you could get it back was to stop stop the car start put it into first gear yeah, yeah, and yeah. start again. Oh, we've all done that. I, I, and and I, I mean I've had passengers that are sort of you know not used to pre-war cars and they would say to me why are you stopping I go yeah because I've scuffed the gear change and that feeling um, when people come up too close behind you on a hill just back off just, yeah. you really don't want to be there just in case something you know when I'm changing gear going up if I'm changing down and I don't quite get it I can put my anchors on but you'll be straight in the back of me you know so that's a word but it's, but it's interesting because you've got an old Land Rover uh, I've got a Series 3 Land Rover and the thing is with a, with a lot of pre-war cars and your Lagonda 100% you can get in if you wanted to drive that car from um, you know Surrey to Cumbria, it would make it would get. Oh there. yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, okay, actually, that's quite a long way. You probably wouldn't want I to think, do it. I but, think but, you wouldn't do it in one, but, but you yeah, would still yeah. go. Whereas with the the veteran cars here, you know, I'd I'd love one, but it would end up only doing the London to Brighton one once a year, and I really want rather more out of it than that. And I talked to the guys. No, no, no. You could use them so many times, but coming just that little bit younger to the thirties, you've got a car which is really usable. They are, yeah, and and because I always used to say to people, um, I mean, I live in West Sussex. Um, now I enjoy the Cotswolds, and I used to drive my Alvis to the Cotswolds regularly. 
kids in the back um, and it was easy and the car will move with the flow of all of the modern stuff that's in that you're you're with I wouldn't get in my Land Rover and do that no well because it, it would take me a week well it would and the, you suddenly realize that 50 is really 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 top speed yeah, yeah. Uh, when you first get in it's cold it seems to be screaming at 50 and you just keep going and gradually it's it I don't know it's your ears that are tuned to it and think oh actually it's not screaming but it's quite comfortable this but this is all it's going to do uh, yeah. and I, that, that always amuses me every time I get here I remind myself that I know it sounds horrendous at the moment it will calm itself down as the engine warms up and again they're beasts they're, they're it's going back to this personality thing and yes it's probably imagined but I like imagining it you know and then they're all they're called they've got different names you know but you've got an e-type yeah beautiful car mm. do you use that much i don't use it I, in fact i've just i've, I've put it up for sale because i um. i love the process of restoring it quite enjoy driving it but realized that it didn't do it for me driving it it mm. was just like driving a 60s car yeah. rather than yeah. i love driving my volvo xc60 which is a modern car it's a lovely drive I used to have a Bentley Turbo R, a 1990-something Turbo R, years, years, 20 years ago, and that was a, a glorious drive. And the E-Type, the for me, as a driving experience, fell between two stools. It, mm. it was neither modern and really comfortable, nor, nor old enough and drivery enough to get a thrill out of it. I remember for a, a television programme driving an Aston Martin DB5, being astonished at how agricultural it was. It, you know, it wasn't the driving experience I expected. Everybody loves it because it's James Bond. It's yeah. actually a bit of a yeah. pig to drive. <laughs> DB for David Brown, they make tractors. You know, <laughs> the clue is in the name. <laughs> yeah, well, funny enough, we did we did a, another podcast episode where we were talking about cars that were that either delivered against their reputation, yes, or or not, yeah. Um, and, and actually, you know, a lot of people covet Ferrari ownership, particularly Ferraris of a certain age. They're actually quite hard work and, yeah. they're, and they're hot and they are a bit, quite often they smell of petrol, you know. They, but don't you think that's the thing? I always, I still never got one. I've always coveted an MGTC, you know, yeah. 1948, 49. I've been past one or two on this stink of petrol. It boils down in the end to the driving experience. You can love the look of the car, yep. hence the E-Type the, the, uh, the e Jaguar. And I got the Coupex, the, you know, Ferrari said that is the best shaped car that's ever been made. And it is glorious. But if, when push comes to shove, sitting in that driving seat and driving it on a journey, if the drive is not either remarkable or challenging, which it is with an older car like the Lagondra and the Bentley, the 29 Bentley was, if it's just sort of, well, it's just all right. The driving experience for me is everything. I've got to enjoy it. And, and driving the Bentley, the 29 Bentley, and this 34 Lagonda, it's a heck of an experience driving it. Um, I used to go down all the country lanes at home with the Bentley, and I don't do it with the Lagonda now. Um, but every time I went around the corner, I'd be worrying at white van man coming the opposite direction. So most of my cars, I take them out, go around to the roundabout and power down the A31 on a straight dual carriageway because I enjoy the drive. I can see everybody that's coming. The car gets a good blow. I mean, I still do country driving as well and go out for runs on a Sunday. But in terms of just taking it out each week, if I've been writing in the morning and I want to blow, I come back, having taken the car, Great, really enjoy that. And it's that kind of drive that does it for me. And, and that's the point, isn't it? Because cars are for driving. Mm. And you can have a beautiful car. And when you open your garage doors, you stand there and go, oh, isn't it lovely? 
But if actually, if you don't enjoy driving it, then, what, yeah. then what's the point? I mean, yeah. cars are for driving, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, and I think, I mean, I've driven some quite exotic sports cars, and they're some of them are just downright miserable to be in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, <laughs> you know, you, you, fit, you know, the driving position's terrible, they're boiling hot, particularly sort of in cars with engines in the back, you know, you've got an engine inches from the back of your head. Yeah. It's noisy and, and smelly. So, come and, on then, your car of choice. I'll tell you what mine are, what I've got, what have you got? Well, what or what do you covet? What, I, what you I, I, I have always wanted a Type 35 Bugatti. I will never own one. I will never own one. And actually, you know, in pre-war terms, that is noisy and uncomfortable. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. you, you wouldn't necessarily want to drive that. But you, way. like me, will get out of it going. <sighs> I at, <laughs> uh, when when my dad used to take me to old car events, vintage sports car club events, watching Bugattis, just the noise yeah, and yeah. and they and they look spectacular. Well, I go to Goodwood Revival every year, and I park whichever old car I'm in on the Lavent Bank next to the circuit, and I've learnt where to park. You park just upstream of one of those loud loudspeakers, because if you park one downstream, it's in your ear all day, and it's very annoying. Uh, but from there, you can see the racing going on, but also, more than anything, I love just looking at the cars in the car park and talking to the owners. Yeah. And for me, it's such a completely different world to my normal one, whether it's broadcasting, writing, or gardening. It's, it's a different mindset, and it's my switch-off time. Like, coming here, I can just go around and drool. Yeah. Um, and there's a pleasure in that. But then when it comes down to the ownership, it's got to be the driving experience. Yeah. No, 100%. And, um, you know, the, the car ownership is... The reason why the car market, speaking as an auction house, the reason why it has always been so resilient is that the, the owning of a car is your membership ticket to a club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To a community of yeah. people. And there's nothing else quite like that because you can buy a painting and you and your family can enjoy mm. it and your dinner party guests can enjoy it. But it's quite a sort of a, quite an insular experience. And people are so nice in this yes. world. The other car owners, because it's the common predicament really, isn't it? Yeah. It's the amount you're having to spend on it, which is outrageous, yes. you know. And do you know what went wrong last week? Do you know how much it's got me down here? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and we all have this, this feeling, but at the same time, we still love them. It's There's something about them. And the other thing is, they're sustainable. We're not buying something brand new. We're keeping an old thing going, and generally speaking, most walks of life, that's a good idea. Thank you everybody for joining us for this first uh, episode in the new season. Thank you to my colleagues Felix and Duccio and a special thanks to uh, Alan Titchmarsh for giving us some of his time uh, to chat through uh, his passions and we will see you for the next episode next week. Mm -hmm.